Hello and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and we are so delighted to be with you today on this Monday of April the 20th, 2020. And we are looking forward to the study of the Word this uh, this week together. And uh, I just want to remind you to continue to, to tune in this week and to continue to tell others about this podcast. You can uh, listen to this podcast on iTunes. You can go to our website. You can go to our website, which is www.worldharvestministries.net, or our Facebook uh, page, and you'll be able to find um, these podcasts. And we are excited about today, uh, this whole week, what God is going to do. We thank you for tuning in. And if you have your Bible with you, please have it next to you as we study the Word of God together. It's always a delight to be with our panel, uh, with Brother Fernando, uh, Brother Marty, and and myself today uh, to be able to be together and and share God's Word. So, Brother Marty, without further ado, I'll I'll leave it to you to uh, begin on this Monday. Yeah, praise the Lord. It was a it was a really blessed weekend and and uh and and it's great to be back again here this Monday and and we're looking forward to a, another series of 5 days of of exploring the word of God together and and uh you know the Lord was uh, was ministering to my heart and and I was really blessed by the conversation we had off air before we began recording and and I really sense like that that's that's something that we need to begin to bring out one of the one of the main questions that I've gotten asked over the years is you know what is it that that God is doing what is it that you know what is this all about you know what is creation about what is my life about what is calvary about you know what is all this about you know and and through the years uh what used to be uh, foundational doctrine in the church, you know, just the, the basic understanding of the gospel has given way, as we've been talking about over the last several weeks, to a climate of of pseudo-Christianity, really false Christianity, where you have, you know, rather than men and women of God that are truly ministering the word of God, you have professional orators, really, I mean, that have learned right. by by poll by statistic, you know, by consultation, uh, how to craft messages and how to present uh, a philosophy of religion rather than the true gospel story, right? Which is simple, you know, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I mean, and, and that we needed a savior and that God sent that savior. And so anyway, as we were talking and, and, and I want to, I want to, I want to begin to go back again and look at some things because I think that the origin of of understanding the gospel story has to be understood at, at, at very profound and deep levels, and it has to be uh, understood line upon line, right? We can't just, you know, drop a big water balloon on somebody's head and expect them to get the whole thing at once. But we can begin to explore some, right? We can begin to explore some things and begin to discuss some things in that direction that might prompt further Bible study on an individual basis for those that are listening. And that's that's all that we're trying to do here, is to encourage people to go to the Word for themselves. You know, in the time of the writing of the first epistle of John, I was having a discussion with my wife this morning, and and I and we were talking about these things and. 
And we talked about how that when John wrote, I, I believe it's first John chapter two, verse 26, 27, somewhere in there, he said that you don't have any need that any man teach you, but that the self same anointing, even that's the spirit of God, he shall teach you. He'll instruct you. Jesus said yes. the same thing, right? Jesus said, as a matter of fact, that the missing component to the apostles understanding the depth of what he wanted to express to them was the Holy Spirit. And the reason that John said what he said, and of course, we, he's repeating what the Lord said, but the reason he said what he was said is because the church of that day had been infiltrated by a whole host of people that had a whole host of different bents on the doctrine of Christ. And they began to become sectarian. They began to break themselves up into little groups. Uh, prominently in that case were the Gnostics, right, which were just these hyper, hyper charismatic kind of people when it came to interpretation of the word. But there were also others. There were Judaizers that had mingled in with the doctrine of Christ. There were those that were propagating other sorts of messages, and all of them were using the Lord as the launching pad for their own philosophy and ideology. And that was very rampant throughout the, the Greek uh, culture of that day. The Romans dominated, but, but it was heavily influenced with that fancy word, Hellenistic ideology, right? So it had intermingled with the church. And so when John makes that statement that you don't have any need, it was because these guys began to break off into their own camps and then heap to themselves um, you know, uh, sheep, if you will, uh, or or the unlearned uh, in, in, in doctrine and in scripture and began to make the people dependent on them as opposed to dependent on Christ. And they would come and they would they would use their message as a as a blunt instrument to keep the people in line around their doctrine their philosophy, their ideology, and they would sprinkle the name of Christ in there in order to give validity to their error. But the most heinous thing that they would do is tell people that you need to have me teach you, uh, you know, what, what this is all about. Without me, I'm the key component to it, right? If I'm not here right. teaching you what I'm teaching you. And so John says, hey, that's completely wrong. You don't have any need that any man tell you what to believe. He says the very Holy Spirit that dwells in you, he can lead you, he can guide you, and he can instruct you in the deeper things of God. You don't have a need that any man. Now, does that mean that we don't think that, that we ought to have, you know, people preaching the word? Of course not, because Jesus gave us, right? Um, the fivefold ministry, right? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we're not diminishing the ministry, but what we are saying is that we believe we've reached a time now, call it what you want or label it what you want. I mean, you can call it the denominational world. The Presbyterians have their bent. You know, the, the, the Quakers think like they do, the Baptists think like they do, the Pentecostals, the hyper-charismatics, the Roman Catholics, name the Lutherans, whatever, the Greek Orthodox, everybody's got a different kind of slant. And when you think mm -hmm. about it, it's been constructed that way in order to limit the uh, limit men in their spiritual experience. And why do you say that? Because Because these defined parameters of 
denominationalism, whether it's Catholic or Protestant and all the names that go with it, they are they are institutions of men and they were designed mm. to control people. I remember I probably shouldn't say that, but that's really what it is. I mean, the Protestants yeah. make fun of the Catholics and say that the Catholics are falling away. But if you look at Protestant denominationalism, all they've done is replicate what the Catholics have done. What are you talking about? Well, if you're an assembly of God, you have a headquarters in Springfield, Missouri, right? And then you have, and from Springfield, which is the Rome of the denomination, they have districts all across the nation. The Catholics call it parishes. The, the, the denominational world calls it districts. And then they, they put overseers over those districts. The Catholics put bishops and monsignors over the, you know, the, the parishes. And then, and then they take up the collection, right? And they send it back to headquarters. I mean, that's the same thing the Catholics do. So what's the difference? Right. right? You've made an idol out of your religion. And really what it's all about is control and power. And so whenever you find yourself in a situation that is dependent on a man or dependent on a denomination uh, to, to verify your salvation or to justify or validate your personal experience with Christ, you're in trouble. And that's why John said, you need the Holy Spirit. You don't, need, you don't have a need of a man to tell you how to think. You go to the Word. Right. You go there with the Spirit, and he will lead you, and he will guide you into all truth. That's Jesus' words, right? And so one of the things that, that we began to look at and discuss was, was what, does, what did the mission and the plan and the purpose of Jesus really accomplish? And when, we, when I was thinking about that, it took me over to something. In, and what we're going to talk about today just briefly is, is I guess I would title it, it was, it was Necessary. So, brother, if you have your Bible, would you turn them over to uh, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 9? Yes. We want to talk about something here that that I hope gets whoever's listening thinking and, and exploring these things. Because what really has been presented as the gospel in all the many forms, whether it's the extreme excesses of license to live any way I want, or the other side of the spectrum that is is complete hemmed in law, you know, a set of rules and regulations and rituals. All of it is wrong, and and there's there there can't be many ways to look at the word, right? There's only one way, but we right. need to understand the components of the word and how they apply as the whole. I think you were saying that earlier, brother Fernando, that that the word needs to be looked at as a whole. And where we get in trouble is when we look at it and 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 uh, and excise or take out of the the word a particular phrase or concept and then camp around that as if it's the end all of all things. And 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 right. and, and, when you, and when you do that, you're going to fall into it'd be like us, you know, all you ever ate was ice cream, right? Well, you're going to get really fat, <laughs> you know, and I, and I can testify <laughs> That's to that. True. Right? <laughs> That's true. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Amen. Amen, right? So, no, no. But if that's all you ate, eventually you're going to find yourself completely void of the kind of nutrition necessary to sustain your life 
uh, in the quality of life that you should have. Well, spiritually speaking, it's the same thing. I mean, if you camp around one particular doctrine and that's your end all, you're going to be completely at a deficit position when it comes to full maturity and growth in Christ. And that's kind of what we're saying here. One of the most malnourished. Malnourished. Ah, that's a good word. Excellent. And one of the things that we've been hearing uh, a lot about is is the mission of Christ, the purpose of Christ. Why did he come? And that's what we want to look at today. Are you guys there? Yes. In uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Yes. Yeah, let's let's start. Brother Jeremy, could you start by reading, uh, read verse 21 and 22. Sure. Moreover, the sprinkled, excuse, excuse me, moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of his ministry, of the ministry. Yeah, he's and talking about Moses. All, yes. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. And then verse 23 says, what? It was it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. For us. Amen. So let's just discuss that a little bit. In verse 21, when we're picking this up midstream, but but what what is being told to us here, and if we know the story, right, that, that in the wilderness, when God took the children of Israel out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, they're in the wilderness, uh, you know, 49 days later or so, they're, they're after the Passover, they're, they're at Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, and God begins to give him uh, instructions for making a tabernacle, making a, a movable house of worship. And it was composed of three separate compartments. They had what they called the outer court. Now, that was surrounded by by these beautiful white linen uh, curtains that were attached with silver rings on top they were like hooked onto these these uh these these long poles and they made themselves into a a rectangle and and it went from the from the uh the the east to the west and the north to the south so it it was it formed a rectangle and these silver uh things that attached the curtains to it were tied by a rope or goat's hair that went down and 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 like when you lay a tent out and the rope at the bottom was tied to a brass nail and that nail was stuck into the ground half in and half out and as you made your way around it you come to the front of the tabernacle which was called the uh the tent of the of of meeting where the children of israel would come and that 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 door would be opened and what you would see on the inside if you went into it were two pieces of furniture one was the brazen altar, and the other one was the uh, what they called the brazen laver. And, and then there was a tabernacle or a tent within the tent. That one was covered with what they call badger skins, and there are all kinds of 
uh, other things that went into making it, but it was a two compartment place. So you had the outer court, which is the first place. And in that outer court, there was that brazen altar or an altar. And the altar was square and it was made out of brass and it had four horns or four projecting uh, horn look like things on the top of it going in each direction where they would tie the sacrifice to it. You go past that and then there's this this bowl. It looks like a giant bowl. It was big and it was made out of the mirrors or the, the brass uh, that they would use for mirrors and then they would fill it with water. And that was it. And then when you got to the next part of the of the tabernacle, it was another tent. It was it was there that you would have to open those curtains. And when you would enter into that tent, there was a place called the, the holy place. And in the holy place, they had a table that had 12 loaves of bread on it, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. It had a lampstand, the menorah, which was made out of seven branches or seven uh, candlestick holders. They looked like three U's attached to one giant pole right and there and in the middle of this pole on top of it is a lamp and then there's three separate lamps on both sides of the center lamp and then and then right in front of the next compartment which is known as the holy of holies is the altar of incense and that was covered by a curtain and behind that curtain was the ark of the covenant the famous ark of the covenant now this design was given to Moses when he was on the uh, the Mount of Sinai, and God gave him specific design instructions how to construct this movable thing. Uh, because whenever God would say, "Okay, it's time for you guys to move on down the road here," when they were in the wilderness, uh, the cloud that would that would hover over this tabernacle would be moved. And that's how they knew it was time to go. And they had it down to such a science, they would break it down and they would move it until the, to the cloud, the pillar of cloud by day. And at night, it was a pillar of fire. It would stop. And that's how they knew how to camp. Now, everything, all their tents were to be facing this tabernacle, as we call it, this movable tent. And all the children of Israel, some say as many as 2 million of them, had tents. And they were broken up by their 12 tribes and they surrounded it. And at the center or in the middle of them was where this tent of meeting was. And all their doors had to open up facing it. Now, when Moses came down from the mountain and they finished constructing this thing, when they got ready to consecrate it and separate it uh, to be used for the Lord and for his service, this is where we pick up what Paul is saying here in the book of Hebrews. He says that what God had Moses do was to take the blood of, of a lamb and, and then dip it, the blood, pour it in the bowl, and then take some hyssop. And he had Moses walk around with this bowl of blood. And he says, he sprinkled, verse 21, uh, uh, with the blood the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. So all these things that were made, whether it was the altar of incense, the menorah, the table of showbread, the uh, the brazen labor, that big bowl of water we were talking about, or the altar, 
or all the other little dishes they had to like, you know, uh, put the candles out or pour in the oil, all this stuff. He walks around and he begins to just sprinkle everything with blood, the blood of a lamb, the blood of the sacrifice. And then it goes on to say that he not only did that, but he sprinkled the people and he would sprinkle the book or or the or the Torah. He sprinkled the Torah. All of it was sprinkled with blood. And that's what verse 22 says. Almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or remission. And then he says this in verse 23. It was necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, that is the blood of bulls and goats and lambs, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Okay. Now, let's just camp right there because we asked the question, what was the mission and the purpose of God sending his son? Well, what we know about the tabernacle that Moses built is that it was intended to reflect the real tabernacle in heaven. And what was being revealed to Moses was the entirety of the plan and purpose and mission of a lamb that was going to come in the future, which was the Lord Jesus Christ. And God began to reveal these things by taking the children of Israel out of Egypt and beginning to reveal himself to this particular group of people. And he makes them make him a tabernacle. And then he has them sprinkle, Moses sprinkle blood over all the tabernacle and the people and the book. But then he goes on and says that that tabernacle in verse 23 was simply a pattern or a scale model of the real thing. He talks about patterns of things in the heavens. And so what we learn from that is that the tabernacle that they made, this big movable tent thing I was trying so stumbling to describe to you, um, it, it was actually a miniature model of a real existing reality in the heavens of themselves. And so he goes on in verse 23 and says, it was necessary that the patterns of the things or the model of the things uh, in the heavens should be purified with these sacrifices. He says, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. What that is implying and what that is revealing to us is quite extraordinary. Because what he's actually saying and revealing in the writing here in the book of Hebrews is that while Moses made this miniature model of a heavenly reality and he needed to cleanse it with blood, he then says that the heavenly things themselves had to be cleansed with blood as well. Mm. And what that means then, and we have to ask the question, is, wait a minute. If there's a heavenly place that needs to be purified, then that means it must have become unpurified somewhere along right. the line. Right. Right? Yes. Would you like to comment yes. on that? Yes, yeah, no, it takes it, us back it, to the beginning. Yeah. Right? With the fall of, yeah. uh, of Lucifer. In Isaiah, you know, we get a story of what took place over there in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 of what happened 
when iniquity was found in uh, Lucifer. Yeah. And, and and that's why uh, he's speaking about it in Hebrews, that it, it wasn't just the earth, you know, after Adam and Eve, uh, when sin entered, the Bible says, right, through Adam. Yeah. But uh, there's also a cleansing, which is a type of what Jesus did at the cross, not only cleanses our sins, but it literally cleanses the heavens. Exactly. Something happened up there. And, and it and, also yeah. tells us that that sin did not originate with Adam. The that original ended. sin did not begin with Adam. Uh, John said it right. The the devil sinned from the beginning. So yeah, sin right. originated with the devil himself, and it left it, de- it left a uh, uh, you know a stain. The, the heavens yeah. the the heavens a stain in the heavens first which needed to be cleansed, right? Um, So this is what the writer of Hebrews is bringing forth. It it, it brings our attention, not to earth first, but to the heavens, right? And that's that's what he's talking about. Yes, and and, and that's why it's it's really extraordinary because – because when you picture it, you're you're looking at over two million people camped around this tabernacle, and then you have the prophet Moses, who's a type of, of the Christ that was to come, right? Because he even prophesied and said, look, there's coming a prophet after me. That's the one you're going to have to listen to. He was referring to the Lord Jesus Christ that would come in the future. But until he came, he was his his representative foreshadow, right? And mm-hmm. and he was foreshadowing yeah. the Christ was that was to come. And so when Moses went up into the mountain and received the instructions, the architectural plans, if you will, on how to construct this thing, and then he comes down to the mountain and builds it, and then he slays a lamb and begins to sprinkle everything with blood, he is doing what the Lord Jesus Christ was going to do in the distant future, not only for a tabernacle on earth, but for the entirety of all of creation, of all the material universe the seen and the unseen and that is what is being expressed here just like you guys said so beautifully because you know the the fact that it says that heavenly things had to be cleansed indicates that it had been in a position of purity only to fall into a position of impurity and so the question then is and what we want to ask because we're talking about the gospel is that what happened on Calvary, what the Lord Jesus Christ did on Calvary is far more profound than anything I think that we have heard in our generation, at least. I mean, we're, we're, we're quoting out of the book of Hebrews, so it's been around for 2,000 years, right? But to actually hear the yeah. gospel presented that way is a completely different you know, mindset, but it is what the scripture is indicating. Now, the reason I talked about the three compartments is because in order to understand Calvary, at least in the measure that we can, uh, by the Spirit of God, we pray, we need to reflect on how the temple was constructed or the tabernacle was constructed in the wilderness in order to understand what Calvary is telling us and what that tabernacle was trying to tell us. Remember, we talked about it having three compartments. We talked about it having an outer court, an inner court, and then the holiest of all, right? The, the holy of holies, the third court. And what that represents to us is that is that the reality that God wants to reveal to us to begin with is that it is revealed to us in this construction 
in this way, that there are multiple places or dimensions of reality or existence. And the one that we find ourselves in is on the earth. But there are components and elements that are hidden from view. That's why there was this two-part compartment within the tabernacle in the wilderness that none of the people could see, right? I mean, because you had a holy place right. and then you had the holy of holies, right? And they were separated into two separate compartments covered by a tent. In a sense, what it represents, because what we see here in verse 24, is it's speaking about the heavens themselves. So he says, when you look at my structure in the wilderness, you're, you're looking at the portrayal of, of, of all existence. You're looking at the earth, which is the outer court. You're looking at the universe represented by the lights inside the holy place of the flickering candles and the altar of incense. And then you're looking at heaven itself in miniature when you have the Ark of the Covenant in the holiest of all. All three components represent three different levels of reality. And what was being put forth here is that from the holy place down to the earth, that there everything needed to be cleansed. Remember, lest we, lest we confuse some people out there, heaven where God sits on his throne, the enemy never got near it. He, he attempted to enter into that place with iniquity in his heart. And Jesus over in the Gospel of John says, I saw him fall like lightning, right? I mean, he was cast out. And we see this right, right. represented we see this represented to us that that the priests themselves had access not only to the outer court of the tabernacle in the wilderness where the brazen altar is where the sacrifices are offered and where the washing uh, takes place in that big bowl I was talking to you about the brazen labor but then there's access by the priests into the holy place but they could never go any further than that and they were able to minister there every day but only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And so what's being, and, and not without blood. And so what's being revealed here is that, is, that, is that the heavens themselves became tainted and became, uh, found themselves in the need of being purified. And so what Calvary is actually reflecting first and foremost is that brazen altar in the outer court. Let's say it this way. The earth itself is the outer court. The yes. earth itself is the outer court. Well, why are you saying that, Brother Marty? Because that's where the sacrifice was offered, on the brazen altar, which is a type of Calvary, which is a type of the Lord's cross. The Lord left heaven itself. He descended into the universe. He came into the earth, which is the outer court. And that is revealed in this three compartmentalized sections of what is known as the tabernacle in the wilderness. Anybody want to say anything? You know, when in, in here in, in, not just in America, everywhere, when people preach about Calvary or the cross, we usually just link it, you know, he died for our sins. Uh, he died that we can have victory over sin. He died that we can, you know, everything is linked just for the dimension of here of time. And yes. we don't seem to understand the full meaning and the full magnitude of what literally what 
the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary, what it really cleansed. Another thing is that we never think of heaven. When we think about heaven, we think about streets of gold. We think about everything, perfection. But we don't think about, which is what this is, what this verse that we read in, in, in Hebrews chapter 9 is that something happened there that 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 stained if, if that's the correct word to use that stained the heaven something so it, it and, and this happened in the dimension you're speaking about dimensions in the dimensions of eternity right or yes. per yes. se in, in yes. heaven and so the blood of Jesus is not just yes thank God he died for our sins but this is much more it literally cleansed the heavens the eternal heavens uh uh from the stain that it left, something happened that originated yeah. there. And as you were well, saying, okay. uh, and stop right yeah, there, brother Jeremy, because think about that. Let's let's explore that a little bit because we know that that the heavens that we live in right now, and what I mean by that is we're living on a planet, right? We're we're living on the outer court, in the outer court. We're living mm -hmm. on the earth, which is a type of the outer court. But when we look up into the sky in the myriads and trillions and trillions of stars and galaxies, we're looking at uh, the, the, the holy place, if you will. That's what the holy place represented. You know, it, yeah. it's where the lights are. It's where, you know, you go into a darkness that's illuminated by light. That is the universe. But what we see in the universe is very interesting because when you look at the, the planets, you look at the moons, just in our own solar system just look at our moon i mean you can almost see it on a clear full moon night you look up there and you see you see these big uh, holes right craters they call them you know that there's there's dents on the moon or you look at the earth you know when they like over here we live close to i, I went and visited one time lake tahoe right and they say it's this beautiful lake but it's really they say as a result of a volcano that blew up and or some say that it might have been a, a a crater that got hit by an asteroid that created a crater and got filled with water over thousands of years and and we go across our own planet and we see these giant you know the grand canyons and the big dents that occur where they say big giant asteroids hit the earth or you go out into uh the asteroid belt which is between mars and jupiter i believe it is or between us and mars i can't remember but it, there's an asteroid belt out there which is some scientists say used to quite possibly it might have been a planet and some sort of violent act grew up and that's where we get all these asteroids that, that float around what is your point my point is this when you look into the heavens they seem to be telling us that something violent in the eternal past took place because we mm. see remnants of a war remnants of destruction all throughout the heavens whether it's the asteroid belt that's millions and millions of rocks that are broken up into pieces, or whether it's the pockmarks on the moon, or or all the other places that we've explored to this point in humanity's history, the universe is a chaotic uh, place that is devoid of life as we know it here on this planet. And it seems to indicate quite possibly uh, that there was some sort of profound uh war that took place i don't know how else to say it but or or some profound act that caused the universe to still after all this time bear the remnants of a history of long ago that required some incredible uh destructive power 
to bring it into into where it is today. It's almost like a museum that testifies to us of something happening. And Paul yeah, even yeah, yeah, Brother Marty, the the correct war, uh, word is war. That's exactly what Revelation chapter 12 says. The Bible says, and there was war in heaven. Yes. Right? And again, Brother brother Jeremy brought it out. When we think of heaven, we don't think of, uh, of heaven as having war or war being in it. We think of streets of gold, like you said, crystal rivers and, and so forth and so on. It, but But the Bible is indicating that there is a war. Right, that yes. took place, and 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 what the Lord is trying to do through the tabernacle is is take us to that place before we were created, before the foundation of the world, and He's beginning to tell the story of why the necessity yes. for Him sending His Son, the Lamb of God, into the earth, and it is very yes. important. Important that we as believers understand the magnitude of what Christ paid. I get it. We yes. look at the cross and, and there's forgiveness of sins, and, and there's vic- you know there's, there's, there's victory over sin and things of that nature. But we stop there. We, yes. we don't we don't look at it as as the Book of Hebrews is talking to us about that the heavens need to be cleansed because of this war that took place in, in, in before in the, the foundation of the earth. Now, and I want yes. I want to lay this point out too, okay? Because what we call dealing with sin here on earth, it's really that ongoing war that started in eternity past when Satan rebelled. Yes. That is now fighting itself within our own very being. Yes. And that's what we call mm-hmm. the battle of the spirit and the flesh. flesh. When you walk after the flesh, you are in complete rebellion yes. against God. And to walk after the Spirit is to walk in obedience. So understand that's, that. That's, so, so, that's really profound sorry, what you brother. said there because, yeah, that, that made me think of something. When I, when I first met my wife and we first got married, I was astounded at the level of depth that she already had in the Word. I, I, I didn't even understand what she was talking about. You know, and, 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 and that's right after we got married. That was back when we were like 23, 24 years old. And she had told me how, how that the Lord had revealed to her, because of what you just said there, that, that our bodies um, themselves portray uh, the tabernacle in the wilderness. And she talked about our that's flesh right. being the that's outer right. court, right? Our flesh is the outer court. Our soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions being the, uh, the holy place. But... Um, our spirit or our heart is is the holy of holies, and as I, as you were speaking, I thought about that as such a good example because because that's exactly the plan of salvation, right? Is that God comes and and it is our flesh that will be destroyed. We're waiting for a new body, right? Jesus took the wrath of it for us on Calvary, but then begins the process of the renewing of our mind, right? That's what Paul said. You're transformed by the renewing right. of your mind, right? And and yeah. and then he says, and then what we see by the pattern of the tabernacle is that the holy of holies, which is where the throne representation of God is, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, something would happen there which speaks of the born again experience, and that's that the high priest would go in once a year and he would offer the blood of a sinless lamb, right? And the high priest had to go in, uh, completely as pure as he could be, 
and he and once he would enter in once a year called the day of atonement he would put that blood on the ark of the covenant and then they would know that it had been accepted by the shekinah glory the beautiful light of god would hover over that blood that's our born again experience once we accept the gospel message his spirit causes us to be born again from the inside and transforms us from the inside out and what most people try to do is to transform themselves from the outside in but god begins from the inside right and so what's interesting also is is the scripture says and that's what you made me think of you know is that is what you were just saying you know is that many times we relegate uh calvary to simply uh the place where uh my sins are forgiven and 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 so forth and so on and i'm set free by this that or the other but the truth of the matter is is that calvary apart from the shekinah glory means nothing it means absolutely nothing the shekinah glory is the resurrection from the dead right and paul said you cannot separate the two i would never know that what jesus did was was accepted by god if i didn't know that on the third day he rose from the dead and that is what the tabernacle is teaching us right but let's go deeper, like you were saying, and I didn't mean to cut you off there, but you made me think about what you no, want to finish. What you were okay. No, so, so, he, so it says that in verse 24, that the, uh, 23, that the heavenly things had to be purified with better sacrifices. So a sacrifice was necessary, and then he identifies who that sacrifice is, Christ. He's not entered into the holy places that are made with hands. In other words, the tabernacle that Jesus went to it was not constructed by human hands. And he's trying to take us away from that kind of thinking and elevate us into a profound understanding of what Calvary and the resurrection were all about. He talks about Christ not being entered in the holy places made with hands. And he says that, that what was built on earth was a figure of the real or a figure of the right. true. And then he says this, but he's entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of god for us he's the representation of all humanity he is the one man and those who believe in what he did and understand it as it should be understood he stands as a representation of us think of this all creation is going to be renovated by fire that is what is revealed all creation is going to be folded up like a garment, he said earlier in Hebrews chapter 2. To put it in modern terminology, uh, it is it is the greatest implosion of, of quantum reality that you could possibly imagine. I mean, he's taking every single dimension that is, and he's going to fold it up and do away with it, and he's going to emerge with a different reality, a different expression. And think of this, the only creatures that will that will survive that creative act will be the mm. humanity that was saved by Christ and the angelic right. host that that never rebelled against God. We go on into the new heaven and the new earth, but until that time, the way had to be prepared for every spirit of man that believes in what Christ did. When we die, Paul tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The path has been laid 
with blood. Remember, Amen. remember when when we die, it is as if we we go by the spirit. The angels come and collect us, right? We go by the spirit, and we take the road that was trod before us by Jesus Himself. A road that that leaves this world that goes up into the second part of of the tabernacle, which is the universe itself. And then by the blood of Jesus, we're able to penetrate into heaven itself and there be before him. So while we are in waiting for the new heaven and the new earth, a way of access had to be made for every soul that dies and believes in the gospel and what was actually accomplished by Christ when he rose from the dead. And that's what God is trying to say through Paul when Paul said, Oh, that I would that you would be filled with the with the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that you might know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his inheritance is in the saints. And then he says that you would know how he's done this by the, his mighty power. But further, he says, and that you might know what he actually did when he rose Jesus up from the dead. He's called the beginning of the creation of God. And so while we are awaiting the full manifestation of the new heaven and the new earth, we are still needing the blood to go through the three compartments all the way into heaven itself. He's, that's how we get there. And so that is why it was necessary that the road, remember what he said, you take up your cross, but you follow me. I'm taking you all the way to heaven, right? That's what he said. Yes, yes. And there's, yes. Only one, there's, there's only one way to get there, right? So he says, he says the heavenly things themselves had to be purified. In other words, the the, the blood brick road. I was going to say the yellow brick road, right? But I mean, it's really the blood brick road of the Lord. He sprinkled the very heavens themselves with his own blood and entered into heaven itself to stand before God for us. Now, the Bible also further says there's now two classes of people, right? There's There's the children of disobedience and then there's the children of obedience the children of disobedience are the ones that shall be judged along with all the fallen creatures that we don't have time to get into today but the children of obedience will be saved and preserved and and consecrated unto the lord forever but consider what's happening in the outer court if you will here from this planet you have two classes of individuals you have the children of god and you have the children of the devil and the children of the devil are expressing by the spirit of the devil through them a certain and particular philosophy and ideology about existence. Subsequently, also, right. Right. the church itself is expressing the will of God by the Holy Spirit of God, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and proclaiming it and living according to the tenets set forth by the holy prophets and apostles. And so you have two distinct kinds of men on the planet both created in the image of god and so what is actually happening is what is being expressed from the planet is is traversing throughout all creation and all created order is looking down upon those created in the image of god and a confusing message is emitting from the planet and so what we're being but told it, brother, but is brother that, marty yeah. Isn't that exactly isn't that exactly what happened in heaven? What's being played out on earth? Yes. Right? Exactly. It's 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 it's, it's the rebellion that started the rebellion that started in heaven 
is now being played out on earth between these two kinds of people, yeah. right? There's a yeah. false message that, that ultimately deceived the third part of the angels and will ultimately deceive much of humanity. And there is a, 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 a gospel message of those who will uh, adhere and believe in, in the Lord Jesus Christ as their heavenly Savior. So think about yeah. that. We're, we're talking about the pattern of the tabernacle that's in heaven, or the tabernacle is in heaven, how the Lord told Moses to make it after the pattern of the one that's in heaven on earth, right? So so everything that that took place in heaven, including even the tabernacle, uh, we're, we're, we're given a shadow of this story, right? Yes. Being played yes. out on earth. Yes. Right? Yes, it's, yes. It's, it's taking place right now as we speak, right? And it's, and it's going somewhere. And and the cross of Jesus Christ, right? It it, it wants to bring forth the the number one. Then we spoke about it was necessary, right, for Jesus Christ to come and die on the cross. But it also wants to bring illumination as to yeah. why it took the Son of God, yeah. the rebellion that took place that ultimately stained the heavens, right, and yeah. that has come to earth, right, and stained humanity, and that sin entered through Adam. Right, yeah. so it is. It is. It is fixing the cross. Is fixing all things. It's fixing yeah. so many things that we don't even know. Sin stains. Yes. Not just us. Not just us. Yes. The cosmos, the world that that God was exactly. in Christ reconciling the world. Cosmos. Yes. Everything. The cosmos. Not was... not just mankind. Yes. The Every... world. Everything. Yes. Everything that... needed. Yeah. Go ahead, brother. No, and, and that makes the story of the cross even much more greater. Yeah, because the, because the the Satan Lucifer sinned in the eternal realm, right? Yeah. And that's why you know a, a young boy asked uh, asked a, a preacher one day, "Would God forgive? Can God forgive Satan if he um, asked for forgiveness?" And the answer is no, because he sinned in eternity. Yes. And that's the beauty that God made us in the dimension of time. Time yes. has a beginning. Time has an end. And 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 yes. that's why knowing that we would we would fail, knowing that the same thing would take place again with ours, you know, because sin entered <laughs> through Adam into our dimension, right? That's, that's right. But all yes. along, this was a trap <laughs> that Jesus set for. In, in the essence for for Satan because not knowing it was through the cross that he would redeem us that, that sinned in time, in the dimension of yes. time. And that's why we can yes. have forgiveness and now we can enter into that realm of the spirit and, and we will enter when we get through there the blood to of a Jesus. dimension that's been cleansed through the blood of Jesus, yes. right? But, yes. And I like what you said, the term, it is it cleansed and it's still cleansing. Absolutely. That's powerful. It's still it is, and and it, it it is what paved the way. What is what is really interesting is the is the direct opposite of attitude from the Son of the Living God and from the Fallen One Himself. The Fallen One wanted to ascend into heaven. Jesus chose to descend into the earth before right. He ascended. Right. It shows the complete difference in the lack of humility of the one that used to be called Lucifer and in the humility of the son of the living God, he descended 
And so you have to ask yourself in the reflection of the tabernacle, what are we being taught? Why is it important that Christ came to the planet? And why is it important that he suffered and died such a cruel death on Calvary's hill uh, in the earth? It is precisely because the origination of the original rebellion began on this planet. And so where the original sin took place, that is where the sacrifice had to take place, in the same place. But because the rebellion was led from this planet into the very heavens themselves, right up to, but not in where God is is dwelling, because that's what's represented by that curtain before the Ark of the Covenant, right? No one can go in there. And it it was closed off. And, And so what we're told is that all the way up to that point uh, was was contaminated, and God, in essence, blocked the way. He was he was not allowed to have access to the Father. He he ascended to the sides of the congregations of the north, right into the mount of the congregation. That's as far as he got. But he never got to the throne room. He never got to God. Jesus said, "I saw him fall like lightning." Iniquity was found in him, according to the scriptures, and God cast him out of heaven. But when he he came up into that realm, he was literally tainting the entirety of all creation, all up into the mountain of God. And it was there that he fell and was cast back down to earth. And so all of that was tainted. And that's what Paul is talking about here in the book of Hebrews, when he says, this is what Moses did and what he was trying to express to us is what actually happened on the entirety of uh, uh, of creation in, in, in the dateless past. And it says that Christ had to enter into heaven now to appear in the presence of God for us. And then he says this, not that he should offer himself often. Now this is profound because, uh, I don't even know if we should talk about this, but, you know, we come to the cross, what do we witness there? What we witness is what the scripture says, and we cannot extrapolate beyond what the scripture says. It says that he became sin for us, and that the wrath of God was poured out on Christ for us. And so what was demonstrated at the cross was the was the anger of God on all of us, including the entirety of the tainted universe and the fallen creation that came before us. If you can receive it, the body of Christ represents the entirety of anything that can be called not spirit, I guess. I don't know how else to say it. When Jesus talked about, look at over here, what he says here in John, I think it's chapter 15. Let's take a look over there real quick. This is a massive subject, as you can tell, right? <laughs> so yes, uh, let's take a look at John chapter 15. He makes a curious statement there. Uh, I think it's 15. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Uh, let me see. He said that that God had given him power and delivered all things unto him. And and he said he had given him power over all flesh, right? Do you know that that, yeah. that thing I'm talking, that scripture? Let's see if we can find that. You guys know where that is? It's in 15, um, 16. Look it up, Ruth. 
I was just reading that this morning, as a matter of fact. John 17? See. Yeah, is that where it is? John yeah. 17, what verse? Two. Uh, verse yeah, two. there it is. Let's just, would you read those first two verses, Brother Fernando? Yes. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Yes. So let's look at it this way. Because flesh is material or the substance of things made, right? That's what he calls it in Hebrew. It says the things which are seen are not made of the substance of the thing or are, are made of the things which aren't seen. So he gives him power. Let me quote that right so I don't confuse people. In Hebrews chapter 11, what is said here is that through faith we understand that the worlds, multiple notice, worlds, were framed by the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. So that the things which are seen, the material world, are not made of the things which do appear. And so what Jesus was saying in in that he has given me power over all flesh, he's literally saying, and in other places he says, all things have been delivered unto me, right? He's literally saying that the Father has given him dominion and rule over the very substance of what brings everything into being. And he said that was going to be done and given to him because he was willing to pay the price for it. He obeyed the Father, and he redeemed the entirety of creation that had been under the jack-booted heel, if you will, of that fallen creature. He had legal authority and right. He had power of death, but through death, the Lord stripped it from him and destroyed him. That's why when he appears in the book of Revelation, he says, look, I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore, right? I was living, I died, I'm alive forevermore. He emphasizes his resurrection, right? He emphasizes his resurrection and says, through it, I have the keys of death and of hell. So that is the purpose and one of the purposes of dying on Calvary, and when it's said back here in, in Hebrews chapter 9, not that he should offer himself often, this is where we need to be very delicate, okay, because, because I'm not diminishing anybody's faith. But what I am saying is that if we continually, <laughs> if we continually focus on a repetitive crucifixion, then we are not truly understanding what the gospel is all about and that is what he says here when he says not that he should have offered himself that's calvary often or over and over and over again like the high priest who enters into the holy place every day every year with the blood of others for then listen to this verse 26 he must have suffered since the foundation of the world often over and over and over again but he says this but now Once, once, in the end of the world, he has appeared to do what? To put away sin. How? By the sacrifice of himself. Okay, so let's quickly just think about what he just said here. His whole mission, while while I am identified with him and becoming a a son of God, yes, 
he takes it deeper here and talks about, before he even makes that statement, remember what he said, he had to purify the heavens. Here he says, the whole reason that he became material, that's what he means by he appeared, right? He became a man. Right. The whole reason he right. became a man and, and collected upon himself atoms and protons and neutrons and all that stuff, right? to become a solid entity. In other words, a miniature representation of everything in his body. Okay, see, that's going to make some people freak out, but just listen listen to it again, what I'm saying. is He has appeared. He's become material. He's become the light that was formed into a clay vessel, and the light was put in that vessel but he appeared and allowed himself to be seen for one purpose, to put away sin, to get rid of it. That is the ability for it to exercise its venomous sting on all creation, including those that are created in his image, the sons of God, right? Us. And he's done this by the sacrifice of himself. How powerful that is. Because only he could do that. And what he has done is take away the power for any future opportunity in the worlds and ages that are yet to come for anyone to ever control that power, which is what Lucifer right. had when he sinned. He stripped it from him and is the exclusive caretaker of it, and it will never be unleashed in that future heaven and earth that it's being made ever again that is why he Amen. makes a new heaven and a new earth and what does he say wherein dwelleth righteousness no other possibility and that's what we're being invited to and that is what calvary in the most profound and and yet stumbling way we're trying to describe it is literally declaring according to what we're reading here and what are we waiting for right now verse 27 it is appointed unto men once to die but after this the judgment so then christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and listen to this unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time he's talking about another manifestation of christ he'll appear the second time without sin unto salvation what does he mean he's literally saying that just like the high priest in miniature type goes into the tabernacle's holy of holies once a year and offers his blood there and then comes out. And so the people know that the sacrifice was accepted. He says, what we're waiting for right now is for Jesus to return from heaven. And, it, it, and he will appear the second time. Only this time, it's without sin. He's coming to bring salvation to his people and the entirety of creation. So much more to implement, I should say, the legal right to rid the universe of all opposition, which is what we're gonna see in Revelation chapter 19, right? Is that he comes back and he's resisted by the false prophet and the antichrist and the devil himself. And what is he gonna do? He's gonna chain that old devil, the Bible says, and cast him into this dimension called the bottomless pit and seal him there. And then he's going to take the Antichrist, this abomination 
which is the son of the devil and this false prophet and cast them into the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone forever and ever. And he's going to implement rule on the earth. He's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. That's what the scripture says. And so what we're waiting for, he says, is for him to leave the Holy of Holies. And he's going to come to us who believe in his sacrifice. And when he appears, it will be without death because he lives and is alive forevermore. So great is our Savior, and so profound is what he did, that it has literally cleansed the heavens and made a way, whether we live or die, to be in his presence by his precious Holy Spirit. Anything else you guys would have to say? <laughs> Powerful. No, no, this is yes. this is an amazing teaching. Literally at the cross, he, if you could say it this way, he extracted in himself the Took upon of the himself. world. Yes. Yeah, into himself. He became sin, the Bible says, right? He took upon yes. himself the sin of the world. And at the cross, uh, sin was judged, yes. right? Sin was yes. judged uh, by the wrath of the Father. But he was perfect. Yes. He was perfect, and he rose from the dead. Think about that. Yes. We, need to, we need to begin to see Calvary in this light. It's so powerful so when we sing calvary songs you know do we really understand what he did for us the magnitude of of the price that he paid that only he could pay that only jesus could pay right this is, yes. this is such a marvelous marvelous story and this and, and and in this we 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 find what the apostle paul would call the mystery of god yeah. of how god would deal with this situation that took place in, 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 in the distant past before me and you were created, and he sent his only begotten son. Now that is powerful. Tremendous, Praise tremendous God. study. Praise God. Yes. That's what the Apostle John would say. What manner of love is this? Yes. And uh, what a way to start our Monday, brothers. <laughs> what a way to start <laughs> yeah. our Monday. I mean, this Wait, is powerful. Jeremy. Yeah, and yes. think of this, what brother, what you guys were saying. Think of this. When What a Savior. I mean, what he did. Hallelujah. When he, remember when he rose from the dead? And and um, and what did Thomas say? He said, you know what, man? I ain't going to believe unless I can actually stick my fingers in the holes in his hands, right? It yes. shows us. I heard, a, I heard a physicist one time describe this, and it just blew me away. He said, and like what Jesus said, right? He said, go ahead and touch me, man. Handle me. I'm not a ghost. I have flesh and bone, right? Just like you. But the fact that he still bears the scars of Calvary, what this oh, incredible scientist, uh, I think it was Brother Hugh Ross, what he said, he said it, it, it tells us that he literally relinquished parts of eternity in order to bring us to eternity. Forever he will bear those marks. And and though our little minds can't comprehend this, yet it is a truth that he relinquished parts of himself and yet bears those scars as a testimony to the great love that Brother Jeremy was just quoting from John. What manner of love is this? That he gave up parts of himself for you and for me. And if he loves us that much, brother, now we understand a little bit of how the Apostle Paul wrote. I am fully persuaded that neither height, nor depth, nor length, nor breadth, nor life, 
nor death, he said, nothing, whether they be things present or things yet to come, nothing, he said, can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Praise God. I'm sorry, I just had to share that. Go ahead, brother. Oh, no, that's, that, that's powerful. And I'm going to leave it right there. And because that's, <laughs> I think we're going to continue this on this week of the Lord prompts us because this is much we're just tapping in uh yes. to this subject but i think it's it's very I, no i know it's necessary because so many times we you know again we get wrapped up in just he died for my sins for my victory that i can conquer and all those things are great but i think we cheat ourselves <laughs> of understanding the magnitude of of, yes. of the blood of jesus and, and i use probably the wrong word that's another word i should have used but do you understand what I'm saying? It's, there's, there's, Absolutely. There's something powerful, magnificent that God is, is is showing us, and really is what you were talking about is that mystery, and that mystery is that love, amen. That yeah. it was love of the Father for God so loved the world, the cosmos for God so Please. loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that who shall ever believe it in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life praise the lord we pray we pray that you've been blessed today uh all our all our listeners our audience wherever you find yourself we pray that you join us back on this week of the study of the word that we have as we continue with our series we pray that you join us back tomorrow may god bless you may god keep you and as always keep looking up